Hey, good evening tonight. I got a, a very special guest that uh, was willing to join me tonight to, uh, for interesting discussion on um, a few topics affecting the black community. We uh, asked his brother to come on. Brother, I really look at uh, his thought process and what he's doing in his community. is something very admirable. And uh, without further ado, Ibrahim Tanner, man. What's going on, bro? Hey, how's it going? I appreciate you having me on. You know, I know you. I know you real fiery. So, I don't I, like. I said behind the scenes, uh, I'm not gonna with. I'm not gonna tell you to put some cut on what you may say. Um, I know that you're very transparent and very honest and open about what is going on, not only with your community out in Indianapolis. That's where you at, Indianapolis, right? Yeah, Indianapolis. Indianapolis, yeah. and um, as well as. Uh, the overall national black agenda, as we would say, or the, the the thought pattern about what's going on with our people politically. First, I just want to ask you, what what exactly do you do in Indianapolis? Um, we do grassroots activist work. Um, me, a couple of my brothers, and then some other grassroots activ- activists from Indianapolis. Um, that goes from everything to organizing meetings with um, other local grassroots activist leaders to just getting out in the community, showing up at community functions, talking to our elected representatives um, and trying to get a black agenda bill passed. So, so let me ask you, I know we, uh, we just got through uh, as we, as they were telling us, the most important election during our lifetime. And um, a lot of, I noticed that a lot of the grassroots organizations are really upset with um, definitely if they voted for the democratic party and now we have a democratic president, um, they have the Senate. And it's been a lot of, as we would say, promises that were made that have been broken. Um, What's your thoughts on that whole process and, how the president got elected and what was told to what was told to people, uh, some of the provinces, even the thing with Ice Cube, how everybody tried to ostracize Ice Cube for trying to sell the black agenda to President Trump, and then they had people attacking him for going to the present president, and then that president did get reelected, and now we got a different president, and there's been no more talk or nobody even wanting to conversate with Ice Cube. There was some promises made during the election. And I think some people are confused because what was promised either doesn't get talked about anymore or the goalpost continues to get moved. Um, Those of us who've been around this political cycle for a while, we know that the the goalpost was going to get moved. That's why you needed tangible solutions and them to make commitments to that because we knew the goal. If not, they would just move the goalposts up into the um, next election cycle and then they'll just rinse and repeat. Um, so a lot of people are confused because they didn't see what was going to happen. Um, some people are angry and then you have um, other people that, that are still hopeful, right? And that's that like derogative term we learned from the Obama administration, right? You have some people that are still hopeful that Biden will do some of the things he said he will do um, but me, I 
you know, and 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 those of us who was asking for tangibles from the very beginning, we understood um, how he was going to deal with the black community. What we didn't understand is that some of the things that we needed to sustain life in our community would go to other communities, right? Specifically, things like the hate crime bill he just passed for the AAPI community, you know, and um, some of the policies that he gave for um, illegal immigrants. Um, so this is an interesting time, especially this week, um, after we commemorated the 100-year um, massacre of um, what happened in Greenwood, Oklahoma. Um, some refer to it as Black Wall Street. The speech that he gave, it's interesting to see some of Biden's diehard loyalists who push the black voters into voting, you know, for whatever Democrats want them to vote for, um, have some choice words from um, Biden, one being Dr. Johnson. And it was funny to see that he, even though people knew that he was a diehard Democrat, right, diehard Democrat, soon as he had some words for um, some of Biden's language during his speech, he had a bunch of pushback from black Democrats and then from like white liberals, basically telling him, hey, stay in your place. We're not here to critique Biden. If you wanted to do that, you should have just voted for Trump, right? And these like so if they'll treat their diehard loyalists like this, you know, what happened to Ice Cube you know, that's just every day, you know, black people being expendable and anybody yeah. who advocates for black people, you know. We'll just throw, throw them in the trash. I thought it was interesting is that, you know, you don't really hear none of the media people calling him account. You might hear one or two people. But as far as mainstream media, we know that Fox News is definitely not going to. Fox News is going to do what they do. But, you know, here the CNN, the MSNBCs, nobody holds him account. Like, And he made this grandiose statement talking about in the black community, I owe you. I couldn't have did this without you. And it's like the same old thing again. And then even if, like you said, even if you are an objective Democrat, if you're a Democratic voter and you have a voice and you say something, they will literally ostracize you and then call you MAGA or say, oh, you should have voted for Trump or, or you should wait your turn. And, it, and it's Ibrahim. And I hate to say it like this. This has been a continuous behavior out of the Democratic Party for at least the last three, four elections. In the um, primaries before South Carolina, Joe Biden was polling at number five, right? So if he doesn't collude with other DNC candidates and Clyburn and everybody get behind him and push him, right? But to make that happen, you still need Black people to get behind and support. Um, after he beats Trump, he says, hey, you know, black people, you've always had my back and I'm going to have your back, right? That was the time for somebody to come and say, you know, I, I mean, at that point in time, it's too late because he's already won the vote, but there was never a push from black media, right? The only thing you heard from black media was just cheers and celebrations. So, like, even though we were a step behind at that point, you still didn't get people to say, okay, great job, black voters. You did what we wanted you to do. And 
when I mean black media, I'm talking about the CNN, the MSNBC, the independent black media is like Roland Martins that's still up under the umbre- umbrella of the Democratic Party. You never seen them come and say, okay, we've been hard on you guys. We was hard on Ice Cube. We was hard on any movement that was talking about reparations or else, tangible or no vote or whatever. You turned out for us. Black men, you turned out for us. Now we're going to go to Biden with an agenda and say, hey, this is since you said that we're going to hold you to that and we're going to hold you accountable. And this is what we need. You still didn't get that. So in the end, Biden gets what he wants. And then as far as what we want, it's ambiguous and nobody speaks up for. And those who do speak up for it was muted from the very beginning. I think that 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 leads to to the other thing that's been hot the last couple of weeks with um, some of the things that Kwame Brown been saying, and those are, those people that like sports, it's like wow, here it is an individual that everybody thought was getting bullied for the last twenty years, but in the last twenty years, honestly, he's been very observant and very. Uh, as we would say, astute of what's going on with the culture. And it's like, when you're dealing with black politics, it's like, okay, I got mines. I got me a plush job. I'm somewhere. Now you gotta, you gotta be quiet. And it's like all the grassroots organizations told the DNC, basically, this is what y'all going to do to us. Y'all going to do it again. But we're going to vote for y'all. Y'all going to do it again, and then y'all going to turn y'all back on us. And it happened once again. <laughs> the, the, I'm, I'm the, laughing, but it's like, you know, it's like the definition of insanity. And it's like, you know, you know, we've always been told, Ibrahim, oh, we're black. We got to vote Democrat. If you don't vote Democrat and you vote Republican, um, you're something else. Or you're a name or this, that, and the third. You're a sellout to your race. And it's like, okay, I'm voting Democrat, but my vote is just not going to be, I should ask for something for my vote. I should be getting something for it. And it's like when we say that as, as, as black men, as black women, as people who these, and everybody always says the president doesn't mean anything. I disagree with that because this is how you get your money. But we don't get nothing for our vote. There, there. There was a, a a very important point that Kwame Brown made when he talked about some of the people that um, was disadvantaged to him, you know, having a successful NBA career. And one big thing he talks about is this, his phrase, the, the, the go along, get along gang or something like that. And he points at the media, right? And if you unwrap a lot of what he's saying, he's saying, hey, White people have these ideas about black athletes, but they don't have to say it. They have their black workers do it for them. And when you cloak that in some type of blackness, people don't see like the whiteness that's behind this vitriol being spewed, right? And how this propaganda can basically brainwash the masses of people and have everybody believe a certain way. 
And that's why I'm glad he put the analytics behind it. Now, when you take that into politics, I mean, we see the same thing. You have the Joanne Reeves, you have the Roland Martin, you have all these people on MSNBC, all these people that they call in. And, I, and like, it's sad to say, but even when you think about the more liberal black people, the Dr. Hetty Gloss, the Cornell West, right? And it got closer and closer to election time. What you've seen even these people did was fall in line, right? And I wrote a paper about this, and I had to even point out Cornell West. I mean, like, for many of us, Cornell West is a hero, right? In some aspect, he's a hero. I mean, We've seen what him and Tavis Smiley did, you know, trying to hold Obama accountable. It was too many more people, you know, that was um, center left that, you know, was had bigger platforms than them and was able to mute them out. But even when you talk about somebody like Cornell West, right, who was behind Bernie, but also advocated for a black agenda, also advocated for reparation, also spoke the voice of the voiceless, right? And I think he is tied to um, our community. So when you see those who are more left come center and get in line when it's closer to election time, it's like, damn, like, like, who do we have left, right? It's like seeing your best warrior run up and, you know, fight their best warrior and your best warrior gets knocked out, right? It's like, it's like who do we send next, right? So when we see this from like grassroots activists, it's like we have to mute all these people, right? Even some of those people who you might esteem or admire, even some of those people who speak your language or initially speak your language, it's like a disease, right? It's like the closer we get to election time, everybody just falls up under the DNC command and everybody falls up under the DNC umbrella or the closer some of our spokesmen get to white power or 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 power on the left the more they become um aligned with the values of the party and not the values of the people right so even when you think about somebody like nina turner's rhetoric and i know she's running for a congresswoman right now right like she's very tame now and her speech has went from being more pro-black to more just American people. You know, that's that's funny. Is uh, I saw a, a campaign she was doing where she had a family out this weekend. And, you know, I personally like Nina Turner. But like I told you, I'm, I'm registered independent. And I was saying to myself when she was talking, I said, she's going to create a dilemma for me. And I was saying to myself, like, here it is. I've always admired her rhetoric. I always thought that she spoke for the voiceless. Um, but you do see that. And it's not like when you start to address these situations amongst your peers and you start saying something, the first thing they say is they'll attack you. The first attack is your blackness is when you start to critique them based off of their politics or whatever behavior they may be doing. The first thing a person to say is, why we always got to pull somebody down? I'm not pulling them down personally. I'm pulling them down because their policies don't, their politics don't align with my politics. And then it's like, okay, then when you keep doing it or you keep addressing just off of the policies, they'll look at you like you, you're crazy. And it's funny because we saw how 
and and people could say what they want. People could give credit who they want, but Twitter stopped Kamala Harris's presidency run. Twitter, Twitter did that. People were on it. People were vigilant of her record. I don't really think that um, her personal life was the issue. I think that it was basically people were keeping that information of what her policies represented, and that was the reason why she wasn't the president elect. And you know, be that as may, how we how she got to where it is. So, <laughs> so let me ask you, Ibrahim, in your opinion, like, what do you think Whip Clyburn did that for? I think that's not only who Whip Clyburn is, but that's who I don't want to say all, but that's who most of the elected officials are, right? It's like a terrorist cell. Like they just live a normal life, and when their cell is activated, then they, you know, go out and do their evil deed. Um, that's how I view black politicians, right? when the especially on the um left right because some of them come cloaked in black power some of them come cloaked in rbg some of them come cloaked in um being a previous panther or having some type of affiliation with the panthers back in the day you know or they come cloaked in like hbcu and <laughs> and and i was there when when this particular thing happened and it was good for black people so they're sleeper cells. They're sleeper cells until we see them stand up and speak truth to white power. Um, to me, Clyburn was a no-brainer. And it's important to, like, as a person pro progresses through their political career, to see what things they stand up for, right? Like, in Indianapolis, our congressman, well, my con congressman living on the west side is is... is Rep. Andre Carson, who ha happens to be a Muslim congressman, but he's a center-right Democrat. He basically does... I've never seen him go against anything that the establishment or Nancy Pelosi wanted him to do, right? That's that's just my opinion. That's just what I see. Um, somebody had hit me up from, I think it's the Indiana Muslim Society of something, and they were asking me, like, you need to call your elected officials and educate them on what's going on in Palestine, right? And my heart goes out to anybody that's oppressed anywhere. So I initially was like, hey, Andre Carson is a Muslim. So I go to his Twitter because I'm like, I'm going to just see what he's going to do because obviously he's groveling behind Nancy Pelosi and I'm just going to throw him up under the bus. And when I go to his Twitter, I see that no, he took a stand this time for Palestine which is a good thing, but then it made me feel a certain type of way, right? You take a stand for an international affair, but you didn't take a stand for the community that you come from. So it's, it's it, these people are sleeper cells, and you have to understand, like, what they are willing to, like, go against the grain for and what they not. And what, and what we see is that they're not willing to, like, take a stand for our issues, for African-American issues, for Black issues, for, you know, so I I think we may be the only citizens in America that doesn't have political representation. I'm going to ask you, as, as a person that's doing 
grassroots. And, you know, one of the things that I noticed with a lot of people, and I, and I kind of, it's ironic that it's so many good brothers and sisters doing a lot of tremendous work in the country doing grassroots. And it's like, okay, the higher you go, the bigger you get. Now they're trying to reel you in. Now they're trying to get you to be a politician. And it's like a person may not have those aspirations to be a politician. And I say that what I'm, I'm getting to a point because I believe that an activist cannot be a politician. And a lot of people be like, what you mean? I'm like, what I mean is because once you become a politician, you become compromised in your activism. Do you feel like you have to deal with them to do your activism work, the politicians? I think you do. I think John Lewis, the activist, isn't John Lewis, the politician. I mean, mm. we can tell by which fights he chose to fight. And I think that pretty much goes for everybody pre and then while they're doing their political work. Um, so what we had started doing in Indianapolis is we was having a conversation, but it was too scattered. And there were a lot of good radical voices, some on what I mean, the inside, I don't mean like close to the mayor's office, but, you know, some people have like um, city jobs or government jobs, but like not really like quasi government jobs, like, you know, liaison to the police and those things. Um, so what we're trying to do now is just at its very basic is get those with the most radical voices to get on one accord, right? And try to create a critical mass of people so our voices is greater. So then when we go to the politicians, we'll have a select size of their voter base. So you can deny it, but it will be something behind it. So that's what we're like trying to do right now. And the tricky part about this is one, we are not in the election uh, season right now. So, you know, the close, like I said, the closer you get to that election, a lot of people are just going to back away. And then the other tricky part is you have to deal with clergy members because they have broad voices and big congregations. So it's, it's tricky, but if, if you can get, if you can organize and get enough people with radical voices on like one agenda, then you can really make some noise. But in the end, yes, you'll have to work with those politicians because if you don't have the ear of the politicians, then you'll just be um, some type of per perpetual outsiders of that community, basically yelling into a void. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I, I always found it interesting was, um, you know, as they say, when you have power as an activist, the, the politicians will come to you. What is... um. What's your view on what's going on with reparations right now? We know that, I mean, the last 18 months, we've we've seen it. I mean, the groundswell was, I mean, I don't think it's, it's ever been this much talk about reparations um, and why. Because it's always seemed like the, the newer the person is to hearing the reparations talk, the newer you have to really, like, fully educate on them, like, I'm not asking for a handout. You got to be very basic. Like, yo, this is not a handout. This is something that's owed to us. Um, how, how do you feel like the direction is where it's going right now? 
I look at reparations as as like the advocacy for reparations, kind of like the stock market. And you need to get it up to a certain point to where it, you know, can cause some effect and like you can get some bills passed. I'll say this about two years ago, reparations came out of left field as far as those in mainstream media and was kind of like a, a, a sucker punch to a lot of people in mainstream media, even though, you know, I was a part of an organization that had been like educating each other and like building up for this moment. We had a bunch of steam at one point because it wasn't expected. Right. It just started off as a friends group, grew and grew and grew, got organized. And then it boom, it hit the scene and it just it was a sucker punch to the mainstream media. It was a sucker punch to the establishment. And we caught them off guard. Right. And since then, they'll, they've had some time to regroup. Right. And with that regrouping, like I said, these sleeper cells, you get to activate Sheila Jackson Lee. You get to activate um, um, I, uh, Dr. Carr. I'm not Dr. Carr. Them group. What's the other group that's um, in Cobra? In Cobra. Right. You get to activate these groups to kind of like, you know, you know, pump the brakes on reparations and take it in another direction, right? So there was a time where we were driving the conversation and and it was at an all-time high. It's dipped a little bit, but I can tell you the work is still going on. People are still pushing. Um, in Atlanta, the, ninth, the 18th and the 19th of this month, I'll be in Atlanta for like a reparations march and get together in the fellowship. But the work is still being done with anything with being an activist though, you get exhausted sometimes, right? Like we have lives, we have wives and kids and, you know, so, you know, it, it comes a point, like you said, like you having this conversation with people and you want to have this conversation on at least a high school level, but sometimes you have to understand, like, I got to break this all the way down to like the bare basic and like talk to you as if you was a child and build you up and then just from that and you know like not just wanting to be on the internet all day so you got to go out into your community and let people see your face and like hey like no we doing this together you know you get exhausted and what i seen from a lot of the people that i advocate with is like you know people just got exhausted they replenishing right now you know we are some people, we like the warm weather. So as the weather warms up, you know, we'll be back out there and fighting and stuff. But I seen the defense from the establishment get a little bit more refined. Um, so, you know, we just got to continue to be strategic, build and grow. I also know there's too much bickering and infighting from people that say they are for reparations, right? I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. If you say you're for reparations, I'm going to try to find some type of common ground with you. I don't have to be the torch barrier. I mean, like, I see us all as, you know, on the same team, right? If one person wins, we all win, right? But if we lose, like, one person can't win. That's not how teamwork works. Like, we're one community, hopefully trying to get towards this goal. And, and some of the infighting, not only, you know, the establishment, you know, um, bolstering their defense, but, it, you know, we've made some missteps along this journey, too. But, like, we've been fighting for this since 18, since, since, since the 1860s, right? So 
it's not going to happen overnight. It hasn't been overnight, but you know, the conversation is still there. It's not as, um, as impactful as it once was, but it hasn't gone nowhere. You see what the policy, um, it, AB 131 or something like that, the bill they just passed in, California. Um, in California, you see the failed reparations bill they tried to pass in the city in North Carolina. And then there's a failed one in Georgia too, where like the money isn't going to the people. So there's going to be some examples that you can point to and say, no, this is why, you know, certain things have to be a part of a reparations package. But the conversation is still there. You know, sometimes you got to take things underground and, you know, regroup a little bit. And I think we're in a regroup stage. And another part for being in that regroup stage is it's not an election cycle. So hopefully we can get some more policy cranked out, um, some more data cranked out and, you know, come back and make a stronger case and get more people on board the next time this thing goes, you know, pub public in a major way. One of, one of the things that I thought was interesting was the the, uh, the tactic that was used with some of us and our brothers and sisters from the diaspora. I thought whoever started that little beef, um, I think that was Cointelpro. I'm being honest. I, I just have to say it. Because, like you said in your statement, is one win, we all win. And you know, their beef may not be with the United States government. Their beef may be with a government that colonized them. Like, listen, we need y'all on board with us in this fight because if we can get this government to finally uh, pay or, or start to address some of the damages that they've done, the other governments are basically going to be forced to fall in line because you know how this government works. Oh, we ain't going to be the only ones paying Y'all go, y'all go, Andy up too. And it's, I thought that 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 tactic that was used, and how you know people from the diaspora, just and and some of us fell for like, yo, like y'all got to understand what we've been through. Y'all been through something different. Being colonized and being, I think that they, I think that colonization and being in chattel slavery. I think some people think that it's the same thing, and it's a totally different issue and i think that those issues got blurred and then that's when people started pointing fingers well that's one situation we are we already know the other situation that um we ain't gonna address that 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 kind of like take us off track like i don't need to be arguing with you about something that you want through i just want to talk about this right here and keep us focused on this issue on why reparations is something that's old and it's not like somebody asking for some handout of type of government assistance because that's not what it is. So I, I, I was um, looking at something Dr. Darity I put up and he, and it's, and it's funny because you see his, 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 he's starting to get more known and a lot of his work. I mean, some of the stuff that I, I've been reading that he's been doing is, is crazy. I mean, I, I, I think it's tremendous. I think, I think his research is like, you know, he's a scholar. Mm -hmm. How, it's like those people in positions like even they know him in the academic world like they know what he's been staying for all these years and it's like okay we're not going to pay that no attention even though we know it's true 
Is it is it when when you talk about those those sleeper cells, do you think that they're just that scared to speak truth to power, or they just don't do it? Um, I think they were picked because they serve a certain function for the white establishment, right? Um, these are people who the power that be like don't have. No, no qualms about they know they're going to do the right thing unless you know these people bump their heads one day and wake up and then they'll just be you know terminated or you know made to seem crazy um as far as dirty's work is second to none and if you notice dirty doesn't get on a lot of mainstream media because you can't debate him on the work he's done you can't debate him on the years he's put in, you know, doing the work, his book from here to equality. You can't even debate his wife. Right. Um, so what they'll do is they'll just read some of his reports and then give their criticism, but never have him there to defend his points and what he said. They don't give him the due respect they give anybody else. Right. Normally, when you're critiquing a living scholar, you want to have him on your platform if you truly care about the issue that he's talking about, right? Whether you was pro or against it. Um, Darity doesn't get that respect that I see other individuals in academia get when his work is being addressed. They're reading his work from a paper besides talking like to the man. I think like Dirty, you know, he does some internet podcasts. He gets on the hill. He does some academic stuff with universities. But as far as, as you know, them doing shows, um, CNN, MSNBC, MSNBC, and some of your other mainstream media, like they, they just don't have Dirty on there because they can't, he's too sharp. They can't refute his work or, you know, how he's grounded in the conversation and how he makes it just plain and simple. So what's better than that? I'm going to just read the report and just, you know, falsely pick the report apart, knowing like this man is one phone call away. If I can get in contact with him, they can. Let me ask you, do you think going forward, and it's, and it's amazing that the former president, um, right, wrong, and different, started saying some things when he was running for president in reference to media. And then during his presidency up until now, we've seen a shift in mainstream media. Do you think, you know, we, we on YouTube, so I might as well say it. Do you think that a lot of people are like shifting away to like, you know what? I'm going to go to alternative media. I'm going to stop listening to mainstream media. I'm going to start getting my sources and my information and my unbiased news from different areas. How do you think that's going? Like, are we at a different time when it comes to media? There is definitely a shift away from mainstream media. I mean, not only because people, you know, are just tired of mainstream media feeding them the monotonous BS, but as well, I mean, like, why would I listen to somebody talk about Palestine where I can find somebody streaming live from Palestine, right? So you have that aspect where you can get right there or as close as you can get. You also have um, the fact that a lot of people is just, you know, 
fed up with the same few programs and they want variety. And what you get from the internet is also specificity and like what you may want to hear about. So if you're interested in reparation, you can set your YouTube up or your Facebook or your Twitter feed to, you know, basically, you know, educate you on that point. If something is going on in Minneapolis like it was last summer, right? I don't have to like go to this commercial break to where somebody and comes back and they're talking about an issue in Kentucky. We can stay right here where I want to be. With that being said, you see um, people in independent news media gaining more and more notoriety. And I think with that, um, really what these um, big companies want to do is like start to marginalize these platforms. But there is also a transition from the established um, media sources doing fake independent media over in these spaces too to try to, you know, corral some of that audience and get them back on that message. But I do see a shift from mainstream media to independent media. There was a time um, 10 years ago where I got most of my news. If it did come from the newspaper, it came from MSN, uh, MSNBC or CNN, you know, or, you know, one of the other bigger media. And I see more people, um, we also are like more overworked, right? So they didn't have um, the gig economy, right? Where you leave work and then you start this side hustle job. So people don't have time to even digest traditional media. So, you know, the result is this alternative media on YouTube that's easily digestible and consumable because it's at the palm of your hand and you can just, you know, it comes in a timely manner when you ready for it. One of the, one of the things before I, before we go, I want and I don't want to say no particular organization. Um, I know we talk about the language that we use on Twitter is we always talk about these grifters who have who have basically taken a narrative. And I have a co-host, and she she coined a phrase that I love to say now, and she says it all the time. She reminds me this every day when we talk on the phone. She says, "Black trauma is big business." And, you know, it's amazing how she, when we talk about it and she says it to me, she says, she always reminds me of it when I start my stuff. And, and like, when you look at some of the people who should be the voice for the voiceless and, you know, even President Biden making the statement that he said about George Floyd, that his, his death was more important than Martin Luther King's. Like, like, really, like this man said this. And I'm not saying I was a big King guy, but that's a slap in the face to the whole civil rights movement. Whether we agreed with what they were doing during civil rights and some of their mistakes that they may have made during their movement, that was a slap to all of the elders that literally most of them died and got killed and got put in jails and still in jail. Some of the young ones that's still alive. How did... When you sit and you watch mainstream activists, let's just say use that word, mainstream activists who have basically made money off of black trauma and not really as transparent with these funds as they should be. Do you, 
in in doing what you do, Ibrahim, do you feel like losing hope? Like, yo, man, like this is crazy, man. Like these people's getting millions of dollars running around here parading the death of a black most of the time, the death of a black man in the cases of Brianna Taylor and uh Sandra Bland, no, because those was our sisters, but a black man was killed. Mildred Crump, Mildred Crump and them, Lee Merritt, they got a civil suit. They got some money. But then on top of that, you have these activists that came along and they basically profited off of their, these people's death. Like, what do you say about that? Like, how does, how do you detach yourself from like really going at them to the point where people looking at you like, damn, why are you attacking these people? They the voice of the voiceless. And you like, no, they ain't. They're grifters. How do you It's do- interesting because you know when you're doing this work, you get exhausted because you're undermanned and you're under resourced. And I always say, you know, when you do this research, you have to bring your humility with you because you're doing it for the people, right? I mean, you're doing it for yourself as well because you're you're part of this community, but you're doing it for the people. And you know while doing this, you're going to like give a lot of you. Um, when I think about the lives of like a, a Malcolm X and a Martin Luther King Jr., I couldn't even imagine how, you know, just exhausted they had to be just giving and giving and giving and giving, right? You know, you know, working for the people 24-7. There was a point where Malcolm was sleeping like four or five hours a day. Right. And, you know, he was up, he was working, he was reading, you know, and just always had to be on his toes because he's going up against the machine. Now, when you see people and I coined a phrase, you know, mixtape activists, you know, you have these people who sometimes start off in grassroots like a mixtape rapper just so they can, you know, get somebody to shine a light down there and bring them on up. Um, some of these people are implants. Uh, you know, some have, you know was groomed by, you know, um, historic grifters in our community that's been grifting for decades, right? They they span, you know, almost two generations. They ate off the, the original grifters' table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so when you see, I, I mean, you, you think, I mean, you still got the, 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 the Al Sharptons, the Jesse Jacksons around, the Andrew Youngs, right? So, so we're actually like that I know of, like on our second generation, but I'm sure it was generations before them. So this has always been something that we had in our community. I think the difference now is that we don't live in segregated communities. So we live in more integrated communities, meaning we have more white allies, but you also have, it's also easier to, um, you know, place barriers in our communities as like spas and COINTELPRO and things of that nature, you know, those who look like us and those who don't. I mean, this work is so exhausting. I just couldn't see myself like doing the work and then like sleeping up at a five seasons, you know, on the weekend and recouping and, and going to do it again. Um, it's a shame. I hate the fact that we have to publicly invest in like going after people who look like us, but it's something that has to be done. I mean, there has to be some type of way 
that you can call out your race traders, right? I mean, you have to have a mechanism to exclude certain people and let them know, like, you know, th th those people right there or this behavior right here is looked down upon so other people can come and, like, learn. And I think in the end, you know, like, these aren't, like, sophisticated schemes. These aren't no Bernie Madoffs or anything, right? These people get a few years in, and then, like, their paperwork don't add up immediately. I mean, starting with uh, Mike Brown in St. Louis, some of these individuals being called out, you know, soon as they popped on the scene. Saying, I mean, hey, it's, it's, they're it's, not like us. Get that, these people out of here. I, I, it's, it's funny that you said that is because that – the Mike Brown, the Ferguson um, situation, in my opinion, was the beginning of the new generation grift. Um, a lot of a lot of uh, the younger people, our age group, they want there. They tried to get the photo ops. George Soros put his money out there, and a lot of people took the bag. And it's like, um, that's that was like. As you say, that's when the activation started. Like, here you go. This is the second wave of the griff for the younger generation. This is what y'all got to do. And it's like, we seen it coming. And we was warned. Uh, what's the brother's name? I can't even. Darren Seals. Oh, yes. And it's funny because I always talk about Darren on my, on my, in my Facebook group. Um, the king told us. He said, these people ain't who they think they are. I'm on the ground. And. You know, him getting murdered and, and, and the other brothers that was with them getting murdered and still suspicious with their murders. And it's like when you tell people about what happened with him and him forewarning about what BLM was really about, they look at you like you speaking and you got three faces like. This kid was on the ground like he was a young brother. He was on the ground in them streets there when it happened. He says, that, he says that in 2014, 2015, it's 2021, and you see it to all unravel. But that means we're seven years behind. If we listen to this brother, we possibly not only could have saved his life, but so many other lives, right? I mean, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars that could have went to the community and did something better than a recreation center or buying somebody houses or something, you know, money that could you could have galvanized with and organized with and politicized and try to get some policy enacted, right? Not money to buy nobody's house or something like that. Um, but I also know these people was propped up, like you said, like Soros funded it. And like, even if it's not his project, if you got a billionaire backing you, it's not, it can't be grassroots, right? And from early on, when I see them get behind, um, there was a Hillary Clinton event when she was running for president, and they got to like, at first they shut down a Bernie Sanders event, then they got like behind stage and got to question Hillary, and when they questioned Hillary, she just schooled them, and I'm like, here's a, you know, race, uh, old white lady with, you know, not the best record, especially when it comes to the black community that's schooling these young people on politics. Like who should know more 
about your situation, you or your adversary. Like you would never see this with like Fred Hampton finally get a conversation with someone and then they start schooling him. So like th there was a lot of telltale signs and and we were behind on that. I think people are more um in tune when you when Sean White starts to come around definitely more in tune with Tamika Mallory and some of the other new faces on the scene to like call it out. I would like to say we learning, but I've seen from history will we'll do okay when it comes to one aspect and then let some time elapse. And it's like, we'll start all over. It's like, we didn't even learn our lesson. I thought we learned something with Obama, right. As an example. And then, you know, Trump comes along and I've seen people talking about policy, policy, policy with Trump and he's not giving us this. And and I said, OK, we we learn it. And then Biden hit and it's like Biden not only destroyed me, too, he destroyed like policy talk. He destroyed like all types of like progress that I thought we made as a community. And we, we just went back to the cycle of just vote blue, no matter who. So it's kind of interesting with these mixtape activists. I, I hope we're learning a lesson and I hope this is not just something we're reacting properly to in the moment. I hope this is, you know, this, you know, transcends to like future generations so we can, you know, educate the youth coming up behind us and let us know like, this behavior won't be tolerated. And if, you know, you want to go over there and chase the bag off of, you know, dead black carcasses, this is how you will be treated in our yeah. community. It won't be accepted. I, I, I'm even surprised that they, um, um, they were even able to get the, uh, socialist, the, 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 that part of the democratic party, basically the squad in them, they got them to tone down. And I never, Ibrahim, I never thought they would tone down. I actually thought that they would be holding Biden accountable. And it's like they even fell in line too. Like, you don't hear them kicking up. And, and, and I find it ironic, and I always tell people that if you want to know who's really running the parties, it's Mitch McConnell and Nancy. Everybody else is going to fall in line with them too. Believe So everybody thinks that, you know, other people run the party. So Nancy basically told him, like, look, y'all need to shut up. And they basically... I mean, Nancy was supposed to be challenged. And then on the day she was supposed to be challenged, everybody just had tea and crumpets and everybody had a nice little meeting and they came out and they said, Nancy's been elected back. So you, you do see the same faces over and over. You see Schumer. You see Pelosi. You see Mitch McConnell. Like, you see the same faces. And, and one thing is interesting... What's going on with the GOP, with the lady who hasn't been backing Trump? Like, they're trying to get her out of there. What you see from one party is, like, either you're going to be online or we're not going to, you know, we're not having it. With the DNC, it's just like, we know these people are going to get in line. We know when the time comes, everybody is going to fall in line. And, and like, that means black people is going to get left out and not get what they want. So we have to be like more aggressive, more organized, you know, just more on code when it comes to like what we want. And I think we've proven that we can like elect somebody and get them in the office and make them win. And, and this is unpopular, but we also have to prove that we can make you lose. We can make you lose. 
you know, I want the person in there that's going to do right by me. That's going to do right by my people. But if you're not and you're depending on my vote, hell, anybody can go up in there. Dude, that's what I was just like. I'm just if if we couldn't have got what we wanted to prove that we mean business, I was okay with seeing Biden lose. Listen, I was okay with seeing Bernie lose. That's what the former president said. What do you got to lose? And you know, um, history is gonna tell us what we what we what we've gained with this president, and it's all I can say is well, you know, we're along for a ride. <laughs> It just been, hasn't even been six months yet. Four months, like um, you know, I guess some things is coming down the pipe eventually. But eventually, um, hopefully, I know in the first week he signed eighteen executive orders, and the only executive order that even had African Americans in there, you had to wait two hundred days to get some type of information back from his department. So that already put him out past the first one hundred days. Right. And, and we like these are things like I hate the fact that they always point to us like you guys don't know what you guys want. Yes, we do. Right. It's just that we don't have nobody that's loud and voiceless enough at the right time. Right. Because timing means something to get what we need done and to point this stuff out. So, yeah, I, I mean, like you do the work because you have to. You know, like as long as I got breath in my lungs, I'm gonna, you know, go out and advocate for my people. Um, that's what our people fought fought for, right? The right to like be true citizens and get what's owed to us. And we come from a fighting people. I think we still have to like make that push and 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 but I understand why some people are fatalists and why some people feel like, hey, we've been living this way for <laughs> centuries and nothing is going to change right and and sometimes i feel that way but i'm like hey you know if you're going to go down you might as well go down fighting yeah i'm I'm just going to get my money up go live off the grid and still chill <laughs> chill in oregon somewhere don't nobody call me and i won't call y'all but ibrahim man i appreciate you spending some time with me man and uh hopefully we'll be able to chop it up again soon because i'm quite sure it's going to be some things in the next couple months that's going to as they say shake the throne so I appreciate you joining me, bro. With that, everybody in, the chat, everybody in the chat, everybody that's going to watch, have a blessed night. All right. Thank you.